Well, good morning. If you have a Bible, uh, go ahead and turn to 1 Samuel chapter 17. 1 Samuel chapter 17, whether you have it, a physical copy on your phone, go ahead and get it out. We're going to be kind of going through the passage, reading some verses and some not, so you may want to skim through just to kind of see these things for yourself. I think it's important for us to read the Word of God together. Uh, over the past couple of weeks, our church has been going through uh, a church-wide devotional and Bible reading plan called Foundations. Many in our church are doing that. And over the last several weeks, we've been going through the Old Testament 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, in both of those books, it talks a lot about the life of David. Uh, David when he was a young man, David when he was this great warrior, uh, David when he became king and he ruled over Israel. And so today in 1 Samuel 17, we're going to talk about David's probably most famous story. In fact, if you were to take a poll really of probably in America, it's probably the most famous Bible story of all time, the story we know as David and Goliath. Now in our culture, even in a non-religious sense, we use this story as a metaphor. And a lot of times we use this story as a metaphor for the underdog, the underdog who's facing this overwhelming favorite. We use that a lot of time in sports I know in the past couple of months, we had the NCAA basketball tournament, March Madness. And a lot of times you get that kind of language, this David versus Goliath scenarios. We have this small school from a small conference facing one of the power five big boys. And you have this David and Goliath kind of scenario. But in other facets of life, we use that terminology uh, to talk about an underdog facing this kind of overwhelming favor. But today, the story, I want us to realize, though we use that as a metaphor, it was a real story. I mean, David was a real person. Goliath was a real person. This was a real battle, a key historical moment in the life of Israel. And so as we read this story, I know some of you have read this story hundreds of times. You've used maybe the flannel graphs in Sunday school and stuff like that to show David and Goliath. But whether you've read it a hundred times or maybe you're just kind of familiar with the main ideas, no matter where you are, today I pray the Lord would give us a fresh understanding and speak to us in a fresh way as we go through this story. So you ready? Let's jump in in uh, verse number one. As we go through, I'm just going to, we're going to go through the story. And as we go along, I'll just highlight some truths and then we'll wrap up today. So verse one, it says this, first Samuel chapter 17. Now the Philistines gathered their forces for war and assembled at Soko in Judah. So you had the Philistines. If you've been around church, you maybe have heard about the Philistines, this nation people group who were kind of a thorn in the side of the Israelites. They were a constant ongoing enemy adversary of the Israelites. So at this moment in time, they had gathered their forces for war. They made preparations for war and they did that in Soko in Judah. Now, if you were to flip back and look at your little church maps in the back of your Bible, you would see that Judah was a region within the nation of Israel. And Judah, as we read throughout scripture, was kind of at the heart of Israel. Judah was at the heart of Israel. So if you were to read it this way, the Philistines, they gathered for war at the front door of the Israelites, that they brought the fight to them. They weren't waiting on the Israelites to engage. They brought the fight to their front door. And so here's what happened. So they began to assemble their, their forces. The Israelites, what do they do? They said, well, we better assemble our forces. So they get the, the people together and they form two lines, two battle lines at this valley called Elah, a place you can go today and see today. And so they gather their forces and it tells us that the Philistines had this champion among them, this man named 
Goliath. Now, it describes him as a champion. When I hear champion, I think he won like some kind of bracketed tournament, right? And he's the champion warrior. But that's not what it means. See, in their day, in warfare, battle lines would be drawn and each side would have a champion. And here's what would happen. The champions would come out, have a mano a mano, one-on-one battle. And if both sides agreed to this, the winner of that one-on-one battle would determine the winner of the overall battle of the overall war. And so that's what Goliath was doing here. He was their champion. He was was out each and every day, it says, taunting the nation of Israel to produce their champion so that he could fight that person. And so day after day, he would come out. It said he would defy the armies of the living God. Really what that meant is he was really defying the God of the army. He was defying Yahweh God. He was defying and taunting the army and say, produce for me a champion worthy to fight me. Verse 11, look what it says. On hearing the Philistines' words, on hearing Goliath's words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. Why were they dismayed and terrified? Well, Goliath was, according to scholars, anywhere from eight and a half feet tall to nine feet tall. He wore armor. That armor weighed a total of 125 pounds, probably protected him from every sword, most arrows that would come against him. He was very strong. He was very loud. He was very intimidating. And when the Israelites heard that, they were terrified. They were dismayed. And and so I want us to see the first truth today. Just kind of lift up, lift out a truth from this that we can apply to our life is that we have an enemy who has prepared his forces for war against you and against me. There's no doubt about it. Today, we may be just walking through life unaware of this, but there is an enemy at work in our world. There's an enemy at work in your life that is prepared, has gathered his forces for war against you. This is how the Apostle Paul says it, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. It says, for we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, so... Paul's saying, we're definitely fighting, we're battling, we're warring, it's going on, but it's not against people. People are not our enemies. We we try to make people, flesh and blood, our enemies. They're not our real enemies. Can, can, Can the real enemy use people? Sure, but they're not our ultimate enemy. He says, we are fighting against the evil rulers and authorities of this unseen world. In other words, the spiritual realm. Against mighty powers in this dark world and against evil spirits in the heavenly places that our enemy is a spiritual one throughout scripture, Satan, Lucifer, uh, the devil, whatever you want to call him, scripture calls him all of those things, but it is the reality that he, along with the spiritual forces of darkness are waging war against God's people. That is a scriptural fact, whether we're aware of it or not, he is gathering his forces against you and me. This is what Jesus said, John chapter 10, John chapter 10, what he says, the thief comes to steal kill and what destroy those are his intentions look when the enemy comes against us when the enemy tempts us to go against god to go our own way he doesn't have your good intentions at heart he doesn't he has one intention that's to steal from you to kill you ultimately and to destroy everything good in your life those are his intentions know that when he comes against us and then he likes to bark loud. Like Goliath, man, Goliath was out there yelling. You could, you, you could see how intimidating Goliath could be. You could see how intimidating he could look and feel with his loud, booming voice. And the enemy likes to bark and growl and intimidate us. And like 
The Israelites, we tend to then cower in fear. Sometimes we just want to stick our head in the sand and hope it goes away. Right? But it's not going to. The enemy's going to bring it to our front door. And we see the enemy at work in our culture. We see the enemy at work in our family. We see the enemy at work at the, our workplace, our school, so on and so forth. The battle is real. There is an enemy who's coming against you, and his only motive, his only purpose in life is to steal, kill, and destroy That's where the Israelites were. Goliath, he was the champion. He was the champion of the enemy. He was ready to steal, kill, and destroy. And the next verse, verse 12, we're not going to on the screens, but you can just see it if you have your Bible open. It just kind of starts. Just said, hey, now there was a guy named David. And it goes on to to describe who this guy David was. David was a a son among many brothers. He was the youngest son. He had a a dad named Jesse. And all of his brothers were in the Israelite army. They were fighting men. And they were on the front lines of the Israelite army there at the Valley of Elah. And so they needed food. They needed provisions. So Jesse, the father, says, hey, David, you need to gather up this food and all of these things, these provisions. I want you to take them from our home, stop tending the sheep, and I need you to go and bring this food to your brothers. So David gathers it up, and I know he does it real eagerly. He wants to go. He wants to be at the battlefield. So he runs, brings the food to his brothers. He finds his brothers there on the front lines. And while he's there chit-chatting with his brothers, the guys around him, he hears Goliath. Goliath steps out. And once again, he defies the armies of the living God. Once again, he defies, defies the God of the army and says, hey, will anyone challenge me? And David's like, huh. It literally says there, you can read, it says, who is this guy that he would defy, that he would disrespect the armies of the living God? Who is this guy? I'll fight him. I'll fight him. And so he asked the people around him, hey, what will the guy get? What will the man get if he steps up and fight and whoops this old Philistine? The guys are like, well, King Saul says if you step up, if you fight him, King Saul will give you like a lot of money. King Saul will give your family a lot of money. King Saul will give you his daughter in marriage. That, that King Saul will reward you very handsomely. And so David said, okay, well, well how, how do I go about this? How, how do I say yes? How do I sign up for this? And it says that King Saul hears Hey, this guy, David, and Saul knew who David was. He was familiar. There was a history. And so Saul hears about it, says, okay, David, you want to do this? Then we need to meet. So pick up in verse 32. Verse 32, the story picks up. David says, hey, I'll go. I'll do it. Saul hears about it. Verse 32, David said to King Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and will fight him. And Saul replied, you are not able to go out against this Philistine. You're not able to fight him. You're only a boy. And he has been fighting. He has been a fighting man from his youth. And so the second truth I want us to see today as we're going along is the enemy says you are not able. The enemy says you are not able. Now, King Saul was not David's enemy. Yeah, they, they were, had an adversarial relationship throughout their life, if you know it. But King Saul was not his enemy. The ultimate enemy was the Philistines. The ultimate enemy, though, was actually Satan himself working through the Philistines. And, and the enemy had already gotten into Saul's heart. The enemy had already, had already whispered into Saul fear and, and, and to, to go against God. And so in many ways, he was speaking through Saul, telling King David, you aren't able to do this. You're not strong enough. You're not big enough to fight this Philistine. You're not big enough. You're not strong enough to win this battle. And look, if we were honest, reading the story, seeing what Saul saw with his own eyes, Saul was right. I mean, David had no business going into this battle. 
David was a shepherd boy. He, he didn't have much real battlefield experience. Goliath had been a champion of great size from his youth. He had no real business going into battle. And I would say Satan is going to speak to us. Our enemy is going to speak to us. Maybe he will use something else. Maybe use some other kind of messaging. Maybe it's just a voice in our head and tell us that we're not good enough. That the enemy's coming against you. The enemy wants to do battle and you're not good enough. You're not strong enough. You don't have what it takes. You're inadequate. And guess what? In some ways, he's right. In some ways, he's right. The enemy is very powerful. The enemy comes against us in a very strong way on our own. Catch this. Sometimes we're not able. But Saul and the enemy, they miscalculated the equation. See, they left out a certain variable there. David had a power beyond himself. And God has made available to you a power beyond your own abilities. And that if we, by faith, tap into that power and allow God to work through us, we can be like David and have confidence and have victory. Story goes on, says this, verse 34. David said to Saul, well, your servant, me, I've been, keeping his, I've been keeping my father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, verse 35, I went after it. I struck it and I rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Man, can you imagine if you were a shepherd and a bear or a lion come upon your sheep? I'm going to tell you, here's what I would do. I'd like, hey, you go ahead and have that one right there. And, and, and I might hunt, I might kind of walk behind it and see if, you know, kind of get bored with the sheep and kind of drop it out of its mouth. And I might go over there and tend to the sheep and nurse it back to health if I could. That's honestly how I would do it. No, what did David do? David said, that's my sheep. And he ran after that, that lion. He ran after that bear. He yanked it out of that lion or bear's mouth. He would grab that lion or bear by the hair and cut off its head. And that's amazing. And David says this. He goes on and says, Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. The uncircumcised Philistine, Goliath, will be just like one of them. Why? Because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord, listen to this, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. So here's kind of the third truth I want us to see is learn from your past. Learn from your past. See, David had confidence in this moment. David had confidence as he was fighting this battle against an enemy who was way powerful, way more powerful than he was. But he had confidence in this moment because he knew in the past when he faced greater enemies, I mean, a lion and a bear, that God had provided the power, that God had delivered him. And if God did it then, then God will do it now. And so for us, when we're facing the attacks of the enemy, learn from your past. Think back. Don't let Satan rob you of your memory. Think back to how has God provided for you in the past? How has God moved in power in your past when you were facing a battle? Maybe it was just a month ago. Maybe it was a year ago. Maybe it was a decade ago. How did God provide what you needed in that moment? And I promise you this, God, as we sung, is a faithful God. If he did it then, he'll do it now. Learn from your past. How can we have confidence and learn from our past? If God did it then, he can do it now. Well, the story goes on at verse 38. Then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put a coat of armor on him, bronze helmet. David fastened the sword over the tunic, tried walking around, but he wasn't used to them. 
He said, I can't go in these because I'm not used to them. So he took them off. He took his staff. He chose five smooth stones. He put them in his pouch. And with a sling in his hand, he approached the Philistine. Jump on down to verse 45. David said to the Philistine, you come at me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will hand you over to me, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. Today I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves. Catch what he says. For the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. And then verse 48. Man, it's the moment we've been waiting for, right? I've read this story many times. It's still my favorite part. Isn't it awesome? As the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. Imagine if you were there that day. Well, we'll go ahead and put everyone in the Israelite army. I know that's where we'd all been, right? You're lined up and you're saying, okay, this guy, David, he's going to be our champion, I guess. Small little guy. Hey, go for it, dude, you know? And so you're saying, you see David, he's ready. He, 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 he doesn't armor. He, he doesn't. Doesn't have a sword. What, what, what is he doing? And, and you see Goliath step out, kind of marching out. He's got an armor bearer. I mean, he's got all his armor. He's just, he, he's, a, he's a man. And he's going out there and it says he just starts to move toward David. And what does David do? How incredible. You see this. David starts sprinting at Goliath. And you think, oh man, this is not going to be good. This is not going to be good. But all the time you see something going on. You see David with it. What is that? And he's just slinging and he's turning and then turning, sprinting right at that, that, that giant. And he lets go of that sling and that smooth stone just hits him right in the forehead and he falls down. That's what it says. Reaching in his bag, taking out a stone, he slung it, struck the Philistine on the forehand. The stone sank into his forehead and they fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. David ran and stood over him. He took hold of the Philistine's sword, drew it from the scabbard. After he killed him, he cut off his head with a sword. When the Philistines saw that their hero, their champion, was dead, they turned and they ran. Yeah, we can clap at that. I mean... That's awesome. I mean, what, what an incredible victory. The, the people of Israel cowering fear and their champion steps out. I don't need what, what Goliath has. All I need is how God made me. And with the power of God, I'm going to sprint right at him. And all it's going to take is one stone. He's gone. The Philistines are now filled with fear. They turn and run. Israel has an incredible victory. How could David in that moment of battle, how could he have such confidence? He didn't have the sword. He didn't have the shield. All he had were a few stones and a slingshot. But he said, today I'm going to win. How could he have that kind of confidence? How could he have confidence that God would move in his life? Because he said, look, what did he say? The battle is not mine. The battle is the what? The Lord's. And he, he, he will save. How do we have that kind of confidence? How do we have the kind of confidence when, when the enemy is gathered at our front door to say the battle is the Lord's and he will deliver? And this is the last point, the last truth I want us to highlight is our confidence is in Jesus. Our confidence is in Jesus. See, over 
2,000 years ago, 2,000 years ago, our champion, Jesus, he went to battle. His battlefield didn't look like the battlefield we just read about, but his battlefield was a cross on a hill called Calvary. And in this battle, he took his place upon that cross. Spikes were driven through his wrist and his feet. And when it looked like he had been defeated, Jesus actually won the greatest victory. He defeated sin. He defeated death. He defeated the brokenness that's in this world because of sin and death. And 1 John 3, 8, you can go to it, mark it, highlight it, know this, that on the cross, the apostle John says that Jesus destroyed the works of the enemy. See, Satan was out to steal, kill, and destroy. John says on the cross, Jesus destroyed the enemy. That you can have confidence for victory because you have a champion. You have a champion that said, I'll leave the comforts of heaven. I won't use the conventional tactics of warfare this world knows. And I'll go down and I'll fight that battle on their behalf. And just as David stepped out as a champion and he won the battle and he saved Israel, Jesus stepped out of heaven, was our champion, fought the battle on the cross, won the battle, and because of that, we're saved. We're saved. We're saved to be free. We're saved to live in power. We're saved to live in victory. Your confidence for victory is in Jesus. It's not in your own ability. It's what he did for you on the cross and through the resurrection, the power he now gives us to live and fight against the enemy. Why? Because he has destroyed the works of the devil. You don't fight for victory. You're not fighting to win. You're fighting from a place of victory. The battle's been won. God gives you the power to fight and to win. You know, there was a a story goes, one of the greatest basketball players of all time, a man named Larry Bird. In the 1980s, he he played for a a team, Boston Celtics. Some of you know this. And the story goes, he was uh, playing a game against uh, Seattle, and it was was a tight game. At the end of the game, five seconds left, they call a huddle, you know, and say, okay, we got to come up with the last play. Celtics had the ball. And so the coach, Casey Jones, was drawing up a play. Drawing up a play, well, I know they're going to they're gonna think Larry Bird's going to get the ball and, and try to take the last shot. But we're going to draw up a play to where Larry Bird's not involved. Larry Bird just kind of sitting there being the, the champion he was. And, and he kind of speaks up and listen to what he says. He says, look, just give me the ball and get out of the way. All right? <laughs> and that's what ha- Casey goes, I tell you what, here's what we're going to do. We're going to give Larry the, bird, or the ball, rather. <laughs> and we're going to get out of the way. Right. <laughs> We're going to give Larry the ball (laughs) and get out of the way. Well, let me just wrap that up for you. (laughs) That really, really, I I give that to you that, that really in those moments in life, when we're facing the enemy, do, do we, do we just give everything to our champion? And we trying to, you're trying to take it all on yourself you're trying to do everything on your own. You're trying to fight and battle in your own strength. When you have someone who has won the war that asks you to come alongside, allow him to do the fighting on your behalf. So what, what battle are you fighting today? Where do you see the enemy at work in your life? Know that the victory has been won. That you can have confidence because of the one who went to the cross for you. Have you given it over to him? Have you asked him to come into your life? You know, maybe you're here today and, and you've never done that. 
You've never invited Jesus into your life. You've never said yes to Jesus. What does that mean? That means that you realize that you were created by God, but that you've sinned. You've rebelled against God. You've done your own thing. You've not really paid attention to God, but, but because of that, you sin. You separated yourself from God, and you don't have a relationship with him. And the Bible says if you persist in that brokenness of relationship, that you'll live for eternity, but it's in separation from God in a place called hell. But God knew that, and God loved you too much. He sent Jesus to die for you to pay the price for your sins so that you can say yes to Jesus. And when you say yes to Jesus, you're forgiven of your sins. That relationship is restored, and now you have a champion in your life who'll fight on your behalf. Have you ever done that? Have you ever said yes to Jesus? If you have, man, are you, are you sitting in fear? Are you cowering in fear? Man, allow Jesus to fight on your behalf. The battle is the Lord's, and he will save today. Pray with me. And as you bow your heads, close your eyes, I remind you, there'll be Dr. Books, myself, others will be here at the front. Some will be out in the lobby. We'd love to pray with you if you have a prayer need. Just after the service is over, find one of us. We'd love to pray with you. We'd love to tell you how to say yes to Jesus or just pray for any prayer need that you have. Again, thanks for being here. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for today. We thank you for the story of David and Goliath. We thank you, Father, that that Through your power, David stepped out, defeated the champion of the enemy. God in Israel was saved in the same way. Jesus, you stepped out of heaven. You stepped out of heaven. God, you are our champion. You died on the cross for us. You defeated the enemy. God, for that, we are grateful. We are thankful. Help us live in that victory. Help us live in that power as day to day we go into battle, into war with the enemy who's at our front door. God, I pray for every family, every man and woman, boy and girl represented here today. God, the many battles that they're fighting, how Satan wants to steal, kill, and destroy them. God, would you please, God, give them the power they need to face that enemy, to be victorious, to see you at work, to give you honor and glory. And so, God, we love you. God, we thank you that you haven't left us on our own. And God, may we live in the power that you give today. In Christ's name, amen, amen. God bless. Have a great day.